0: Do you remember what it was like when you were young and you were afraid of the dark? You're afraid of maybe what was unknown. Maybe you're just a little bit scared. You remember being a little bit scared because things were so dark or not knowing what was under your bed or in a closet or whatever that is. Remember being afraid of the dark. Oftentimes our lives can be like dark because we don't know what's coming. We're unsure about what's ahead. We can just be a little bit afraid and disoriented about what's happening in our lives. And when we gather for worship, we are being reminded that God is light, and that His truth is light, and His truth leads us. It leads us in the journey of our lives. Listen to this. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with instruments, O God, my God. I'd love to look with you this morning in the Gospel of John chapter eight. If you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn there. if you're visiting with us this morning, I just want to let you know that we 're spending a good amount of this year thinking about the Gospel of John together, and there's something in particular that we 're looking at uh, if you have a copy of the Gospel of John. You can look at the end of the book in chapter 20. There's one more chapter after that, but in chapter 20, verse 31, John reminds us that there are a whole lot of things that happen that we don't have an account of, but there's a very particular purpose as to why he wrote down the things that he did in this book, these 21 chapters, and he wrote down the things that we're looking at together so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, we might have life in his name. So this year, as we're looking at the Gospel of John, we're thinking about life with Jesus. Because that's why John has given us his Gospel account in these 21 chapters. So I'm going to read you a portion of John chapter 8, verses 12 through 29. So listen to this. This is truth. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father, if you knew me you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have given us the words of life. We thank you that in you there is no darkness at all. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are more powerful than we are and that you can break into our lives and heal and change things that we didn't even think were possible. We know that you can do this, Holy Spirit. Because our Savior Jesus has given his life for us and is at the right hand of his Father, even praying for us today. So would you take the truth of what is here in John 8? Would you take the truth, Holy Spirit, and break into our lives and make us to know more and more of your grace and your power and your light? We pray this for your glory. We pray this for our good. Amen. I want to tell you again that John chapter 7 and John chapter 8 are chapters in John's gospel that I have wrestled with for years. I love these chapters, but I want to tell you on the front end, there is so much about John 8 that we're looking at over the next couple of weeks that is way beyond me. It is way beyond me. Uh, I am always out of my depth when I study the Word of God, that's absolutely true. But some weeks I'm more profoundly out of my depth than others. And you'll know that, and you probably sense that when we go through these chapters. Uh, I can explain to you as much as I understand, and there's so much here that is beyond me that I just want to tell you on the front end. Because you might have a lot of questions, and you might be pushed in ways, and I might not make any sense with things I'm going to say, and I want to say, yep, I, I can, I just give you what I've learned so far. And I'll keep studying, and I'll keep praying, and we'll keep plowing through this together. But I just want you to know that on the front end. That said, as we read these verses together in John 8, I want you to realize that Jesus is talking directly to us. And that if we are going to connect with anything in this story... We actually connect with the Jews and the Pharisees who are listening to what Jesus is saying. We actually connect with the audience. We actually connect with struggling like the Jews and the Pharisees to understand who Jesus really is. We actually struggle with that more at times than we would like to admit. And not only do we really practically struggle with who Jesus is, but we really struggle with who, what he is doing. We wrestle with that all the time. So these ideas of who is Jesus and what is he actually doing, what is he actually doing in my life, what is he actually doing in the world, we struggle with that all the time. Just like the Jews and the Pharisees here. And Jesus is going directly to the core of our being. Sometimes we might want to dance along the tops of things and the surface of things. Sometimes it's a little bit easier in our lives to stay stay super shallow, right? And oftentimes we look for advice or help just on the, the surface of things because we don't want to go too deep. Maybe we're afraid of that. And I want to remind you, in the same way I have to remind myself every time I get into the Bible, the Bible is the language of the heart, Jesus is always after our heart. Now, you can see in the bulletin that there's nothing there for the sermon. That, that's not because I finished this this morning, okay? The bulletin for this week was actually done last week, and so I didn't have an outline last week for this week's message. So I want to give it to you. So this is what we're going to look at today. In particular, we're going to focus on verse 12. We're going to talk about all these verses, 12 through 29. We are going to look at this morning an analogy A declaration and a call to action. An analogy, a declaration, and a call to action. So let's get right into the analogy. Notice how this starts in verse 12. Jesus is talking about the light of the world. He's using an analogy. Have you ever thought about the light of the world? Have you ever thought about light for a minute? Well, let's let's think about light for a minute and think about the sun. Let's think about the significance of light. Have you ever thought about the reality of how light is both dangerous and wonderful at the exact same time? You ever thought about how light is dangerous and wonderful? It's dangerous because if you don't have enough light, you can't see. There's actually a cave in the western part of the state that's so dark and so deep that if you were to stay in that cave for a long enough period of time, you would lose your sight. Light can be dangerous because if you don't have enough of it, you won't be able to see. You might go blind, completely blind. If you have too much light, you get these blind spots. I can tell you on the tennis court, this happens to me a lot. Because people in tennis, you know, will hit this shot where they try to hit it over you. It's called a lob. And you've got to go back and try to hit this ball as it's in the air higher than most shots. And oftentimes, it can be an offensive shot because the higher you hit it in the air, the harder it is to see if the sun is out. And there have been plenty of times when I've been playing tennis in which someone has tried to lob me and they have been very successful because the sun was out. Then I looked up to hit it and I couldn't see. And I swung and missed. And then after that, I just had these spots. I was almost out of the point completely. If you have too much light, you can get these blind spots. And obviously, if you stare too long at the sun itself, you know what happens. You go blind. It actually chews up parts of your eye. If you stay out in the sun too long, you also can get cancer. The sun can be very very dangerous. Light can be very, very dangerous. And it's also wonderful. Light is wonderful. The sun is actually the source of life, like literally. You can literally see plants if you are someone that likes plants, or if you open up your eyes in springtime, you will literally see plants reaching for the sun. Have you ever noticed this? Plants love to reach toward the sky because light is the source of their life. Not only that, but light also has this ability in the middle of it being wonderful that if you don't have that light, if we don't have the warmth of the sun, everything would freeze. All the plants would die. Our food chain would be entirely destroyed. It would collapse without the sun. The sun is our most basic source of life. You know what else light is good for? Uh, Light has this illuminating power. You know, you you don't want too much of it and you don't want too, too little of it. But when light is used properly, it has this illuminating power. It helps us see where we're going. Anybody ever gotten up in the middle of the night? For whatever reason, bathroom, whatever it is, you ever gotten up in the middle of the night? Oftentimes in my house, and this is no slight on Jenny whatsoever, but getting up in the middle of the night, I have to be very careful where I'm walking because I got to make sure in my groggy state that I don't slam my feet into a bedpost. You ever done that? And I've been walking in this room for a long time. And still, somehow, in the middle of the night, when I get up, because I'm being disoriented, not because the room isn't clean or I've left anything anywhere, which I do actually all the time, but she's gracious with me, but walking around, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. And I can either bang into objects with my foot or other things, and that hurts, but yet I know where they are, or I can have a little bit of light, And that light actually shines on objects, which then my eye picks up on where they are and how I can avoid things. Light has this amazing power. It illuminates things so that we can see where we're going, so that we know what's going on around us. In times like the night, we can walk around and avoid stuff rather than getting injured and injuring our way to the bathroom or wherever else we have to go. And what about light promoting joy and health? You ever realized how sometimes living in a part of the country where we get a lot of rain, that when the sun doesn't come out for a long time, you just feel down? You know, there are other parts of the country that get a whole lot more rain than we do. And you know that mental health isn't good when the sun isn't out. We need light. We need the sun. The sun promotes joy. Light promotes joy. And it promotes health. Without light, we have a tendency to be depressed. Jesus is making a declaration with this analogy. Look at what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus made this statement during the Feast of Booths. If you can go back, way back to two weeks ago, Last week we were in 1 Kings thinking about Elijah and resurrection, but to go back a week before that, you remember in John chapter 7 that Jesus was with his disciples while this feast was going on in Jerusalem. In other words, what we're reading about and talking about in John 8 is connected with chapter 7. It's why in verse 20 it talks about Jesus was teaching these things while he was at the treasury in the temple. It's supposed to connect with us so we remember, oh yeah, the the Feast of Booths is going on. Remember, the Feast of Booths is when God's people would gather together. It was a feast that would commemorate God's faithfulness. It was a feast in which God's people remembered that they wandered around in the wilderness for a long time, but their wandering didn't mean they weren't going anywhere. They were wandering around, but they were going somewhere. You ever feel like you're wandering around in your life and not going anywhere? As you look back over your life, can you actually realize that you've gone somewhere? You've made some progress? This feast was where God's people remembered that in the midst of all their wandering, God was leading them somewhere. And not only that, it was the feast in which they remembered that they couldn't make their lives what it ought to be. Have you realized that yet? Have I realized that yet? That you can't make your life, I can't make my life what it ought to be. I need God to intervene in my life. I need his grace to act prior to my acting. I need his grace to initiate so that I can respond. This feast was where God's people remembered that their relationship with him was by grace because they couldn't make their lives what it should be. It also was a feast in which they could remember over and over again that God continued to be with them, his presence would never lead them, he would always be with them and he would provide for them. In other words, they were part of a much bigger story. Much like what baptism pictures The roots of it go all the way back deep into the Old Testament. So these feasts are reminding God's people that they are part of a bigger story that's been going on for thousands of years. And it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus stands up and says these words Do you remember this from chapter 7? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Do you remember that? Well, in the middle of them remembering God's commitment to them and God's presence and on and on, God's people were eating and drinking for seven, eight days. So after eating and drinking for seven or eight days, Jesus stands up and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Surely they were thinking to themselves, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? We've been eating and drinking for seven days. We're not thirsty at all. Matter of fact, we're ready to go home. And Jesus, you see, is is subversively undercutting the feast to say, it isn't enough. The feast in and of itself isn't enough. But it's pointing you to someone who is. It's pointing you to me. Remember, I tried to illustrate this to you with my marriage. Just remember, if it were possible for all of us to go back to the day that I got married, and at the very end of the ceremony, after those that officiated our wedding said, Dave, you may kiss your bride, and made the presentation, how awkward would it have been for someone to stand up and yell out, I love you, Jenny, to my wife. That would have been really awkward, right? But what if the person who yelled that out was Jenny's dad? And it was a declaration of his approval of her and that she was transitioning from one stage of her life to another. You see, when Jesus stands up in the middle of the feast and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It is really awkward because I've been drinking and eating for seven days, But it is really amazing because he's saying, what this feast can never ultimately do, I am the only one who can actually bring satisfaction. This feast is always gonna leave you hungering and thirsting. But if you realize what this feast is about, me, then you will always be satisfied. Well, at that exact same feast, Not long after Jesus said those words from chapter 7, he stands up and he says these words in chapter 8, verse 12 I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says those words not long after he says, I am the one that you come to if you're thirsty. Now, let's keep the marriage analogy here, but let's move from the ceremony itself to the experience of being married. You realize that there is nothing that requires being more vulnerable than marriage? Marriage requires a greater amount of vulnerability than anything else that I know. I've been married 18 years, and there is so much for me to learn. And there's so much of me that has been exposed in 18 years, and yet there's so much more. There's so much more. Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world. And they, those words are declaring, and those words are demanding maximum vulnerability When Jesus stands up and says this, he is saying, I see through you. He's saying, I see everything about you. When he says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, I am the source of everything. You see, this declaration of Jesus isn't just like probing us and going into us. It's actually reaching back all the way to the beginning Because Jesus is here claiming not only that he knows everything about us, but that he is actually creator, that he actually is the one that set everything in motion. He's saying, I am the source of it all. I'm the center. He's saying, I'm dangerous. He's saying, I am also really vulnerable. Excuse me, I'm really wonderful. And who I am demands complete vulnerability. I see everything about you. And when Jesus says that, look at verses 13 through 29. It leads to this heated exchange. He makes this declaration in which he's saying that he is the source of everything. And those who are here listening to that respond to him. And here's how it starts out. I'll summarize these verses for you as quickly as I can. Verse 13 is basically where the Jews and the Pharisees say to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, you're just bragging. No one can testify themselves. That doesn't hold any weight anywhere. Just because you say it's true doesn't mean it's true at all. Just the fact that you're up here saying it is that way doesn't mean that it's that way at all. You're just bragging. You're just being arrogant. Jesus, in verse 14, actually responds and says, actually, I know myself intuitively and comprehensively. I know myself so thoroughly. And your knowledge of me is actually suspect. Because what you think you know about me, you really don't know what you're talking about at all. Verse 15 and following shifts into a whole nother gear. Jesus actually look at the, looks at them and says, you don't even have all the data to judge. You don't have all the data that you need to assess what's true or not. Matter of fact, your way of thinking about who I am is completely earthy. It's completely by comparison. It's completely by appearances. And on the other hand, my knowledge is absolutely exhaustive. I actually came from God. And so when I judge, I judge with absolute certainty. But oh, by the way, I didn't come to judge. You might have come to judge. You might have come to, th- to think and discredit who I think I am not worthy of being listened to and discredit who I am, but I came to save. Those are all things that Jesus has said prior to this. And then in verse 22 through the end. Jesus actually shifts into overdrive. And this is where he leaves them. He says to them, if you stay on this course that you're on, meaning that you don't really know who I am, and if you stay on this course that you're on, meaning that you continue to judge everything by your own opinion and by appearances, where you will end up, is that you will be on a trajectory of dying in your sin. It means that if you want to live your life and you want to take your own judgment and own assessment of who Jesus is, and you don't want to receive what he's actually saying and who he actually is, if you just want to judge by your own appearance, And judge others by what you think and what you see? Your general idea of God and this kind of weird thing of just being generally spiritual will only leave you approaching death without comfort, without any peace. You will only have despair. That's what Jesus says to them. Recently, a documentary came out about this guy named Alex Honnold. Have you heard of this? Have you seen this? Called Free Solo? I actually can't watch it because I'm terrified of heights, but I've read a lot about it, and I've seen some news clips about it, but I could not. At this point in my life, I can't watch the documentary. But here's what he did, said too much on the front end. This guy, Alex, actually climbed uh, El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And it wasn't that he just climbed the thing, he climbed it without ropes, he climbed it without carabiners, without straps, without a safety net. Let me say it this way he climbed El Capitan with shoes and a chalk bag. 3,000 feet, no ropes. Let that sink in. I am sweating and I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you what happened. I didn't even see the thing. I've watched plenty of videos and watched him a lot, but I can't even watch that documentary. He climbed El Capitan, 3,000 feet, with shoes and a chalk bag. And there's a video that's come out. John Paul put me onto this. There's a video that's come out of people who just watched the movie. And they're sitting in a room with the directors and Alex and Alex's girlfriend. And they take questions from the audience. And someone in the audience asks the panel, the directors and Alex and his girlfriend, they ask him, what was it like watching Alex do this? Like, how did you know how to properly capture the tension of what he was doing? How did you do this? And the director said, we will not have a free solo too. Like, we can't do this. We we can't handle this. And you know what Alex's response was, the guy that climbed 3,000 feet with chalk bag and shoes? You know what his response was? I had an entirely different experience. This was actually the greatest day of my life. That was his take. Yeah, everyone knows this guy's crazy. My take on this was completely different. No nerves, no fear. It was the greatest day of my life. Now hold on to that. You remember a few weeks ago when I talked to you about Evil Knievel? The guy that failed but tried to launch over the Snake River Canyon? Remember that? And there was this interview close to the end of his life in which the interviewer asked him directly Evil Knievel? Why in the world would you attempt that jump if you had a coin flips chance of survival? And then evil evil says, do you know who I am? Jesus in the temple in John chapter 8 and in John chapter 7 is putting these two ideas together. Jesus is talking to the Jews. He's talking to us. And he is literally saying to them, do you know who I am? And at the same time, he is saying, my experience of what life should be is completely different from how you are thinking about who I am and what I am doing. Jesus is mic-dropping everywhere he goes. He is interacting with people and he is saying, you don't even get it. What he is offering to people is so different from what they expect and what they want that he can literally look at them and literally look at us and say, my experience of what true life is, is completely different than what you think. Who you think I am is not right. And if you want to continue to live that way, it will end up with nothing but despair It will end up nothing but you clinging to sin. There'll be no grace in your life. And you'll be far, far away from the love of God. Jesus is so profoundly engaging them and us, and they don't even really get it. And sometimes, if I'm honest with you, I wonder if I do too. Meaning, I wonder how much of my life I just don't get it because I could answer questions all day long about who Jesus is and I can answer questions all day long but not quite as long about what I think he's doing and sometimes I wonder how much am I missing it because I'm clinging so tightly to what I think and what I want and that's why Jesus uses these words not only as an analogy and to make a declaration but as a call to action. Look at what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what he says. He's calling us to action. Whoever follows me, he's saying, do you want to follow me? He's saying, are you following me? And he's saying, if you're following me, you will continue to recognize darkness because you will have light. You will have the light of life that as much as you see darkness and death and uncertainty and unknown, you will have me there with you, and you will recognize that I'm teaching you and you're growing because you're following me. Do you ever feel like your life is just wandering around? I've said that many times, really because I want you to really think about it. Or maybe if you're the type of person that is just committed to getting things done and the way you primarily think about your life is productivity. But you've done that for so long that there's always been this nagging sense of being empty and that the productivity that you have accomplished over the years only seems to become more and more emptying. It doesn't really get you anywhere. You ever wonder if life is all that there is? You have people around you that wonder and live as if life is all that there is? Do you ever wonder deep down in your heart if after you die, if that's it, if it's just over? You ever thought about the light that all of us are tempted to live by every day is so shallow? The light that we are tempted To live by every day is trivial at best. Just think about these catchphrases that we all have heard, we've all repeated, but how many times do we actually live by these? It's five o'clock somewhere. Ah, shake it off. Hashtag blessed. Remember that one? Treat yourself. How many times do we live by these slogans that are really just trivial, as if they're the light we need to live and to make it through? How about you do you? How about the millstone that is just make yourself happy? You ever thought about how trivial these are and how shallow they are, and yet how much we take those in and think, oh, that's right, I I just need to live by that. This is why I like stories like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I like stories like Harry Potter, and I like stories like Avatar, and I'm not a nerd about it, so you can trip me up on names and places and all the details and stuff. I don't don't remember all that stuff, but I love those kinds of stories because they pull me into a deeper world. They remind me that there is something that is much deeper that's going on. There is is really good, and there is, in reality, evil in the world. Because so oftentimes, I'm just tempted to live on the surface and just the shallowness of everything. And those things pull me into a deeper reality that my life... And reality that's going on all around me is more terrible and more beautiful than I can imagine. But good has won. Good has won. Jesus has won through sacrifice and resurrection. That there really is grace in the world. And evil is slowly, ever so slowly retreating because our Christ is alive. You see, Jesus' statement in verse 12 is pulling us into a deeper reality. He's saying, I am the light of the world. There is good, there is evil, there is light, there is darkness. He's saying, follow me. You see, what Jesus is saying in this call to action is stop thinking that life with me and stop thinking that life itself is like you're the cat chasing around the red laser. You ever seen those videos? You ever seen cats and you have somebody has a red laser and they put it on the wall and the cat jumps at it and you move it around and the cat's going everywhere? Jesus is saying, don't think about your life like that. Stop chasing all these things all over the place. They're empty. You'll never catch it. You'll never achieve it. Stop living in a shallow way. What he's saying is, think of your life as coming out. Think of your life as coming out of darkness. Come out of the darkness of being defined by yourself and be defined by me. Come out of the darkness of being defined by self and be defined by what I say. He's saying, don't live your life for comfort. That's living for self. And by self, live by truth. That's what he's saying. You have struggles in your life? Those little slogans of it's five o'clock somewhere won't really ultimately help you. You can chase them around all over the place and they're not gonna help you. Jesus is saying what you need in your life is truth. What I need in my life is truth. Jesus is saying, come out of the darkness of being self-absorbed into the light of community and giving yourself away. That's what he has done for us. That we are to come out of the darkness of self-absorption in the light of community. Meaning, Come out of the darkness of trying to perfect yourself to death. And think of yourself. Stop thinking of yourself as superior to everyone. And come into the light of what Jesus said. It is finished. And come into the light in which you are giving yourself away meaning you really want to be a person who is full of the Spirit, meaning you really look at your life and you say, how can I be more loving? How can I be more joyful? How can I be a more peaceful person? How can I be more patient? How can I be kind? How can I be faithful? How can I be gentle? How can I be more self-controlled? That's what it means to come out of self-absorption, into the light of community where you give yourself away, is that we're growing in patience and love and gentleness. Jesus says, come out of the black hole of this life as all that there is. Come out of the black hole into the light of belonging to God's kingdom in which you actually have life. We don't have time to explore this today, but the word that Jesus uses to describe life is not bios, like where we get the word biology. It's Zoe. It's actually true life, like comprehensive, authentic life. Jesus is saying, come out of the black hole of this life is all that there is into the light of being." A full, authentic human being. Life with Jesus feels dangerous and wonderful. Feels dangerous because he commands us to die to ourselves every day. And it's wonderful because we live into what actually satisfies our heart forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that we can meet today knowing that we all, every one of us, we all need more light. There is much within us that remains dark and we ask that the light of your grace will continue to bring us into your light. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly and that you would make all things new and that you would make things right again. In your name, amen. God has a blessing for you. Your future is bright, even if it doesn't always feel that way because of Jesus. And so hear this blessing. And try this week to live as if you actually believe that it's true. Stop chasing the red laser. And think about how God is going to use everything this week to get you to come out of your selfishness and into Christ. The Lord, your God, is going to bless you. And he is also going to keep you. This week, his smile is upon you and he is going to be gracious to you. In the age to come, forever and ever, even today, His presence will go with you. And one day, He will make you whole. He will bring shalom, all because of Jesus. Go in peace. Amen.